Okay. All right. What's going on, boys? How, how are y'all doing this week? Pretty good. Summer's here. Two vac summer. Looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Mm. No. I'm... The only thing that could make my day better is maybe mm-hmm. like an old fashioned, but I just I don't know where to get bitters. <laughs> <laughs> if only we knew a company that had bitters. <laughs> it's also like. 11 a.m. Tony. <laughs> like, I feel like a <laughs> little problematic. Little problematic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But, so yeah, the, the the cat's out of the bag already, Tony. So like, why did you why did you talk about bitters? Well, it's because of uh, who we interviewed this week, and I feel like Uncle probably has a prepared bio, <laughs> but Not I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily, but let's finesse this. Um, so we interviewed for this episode, we uh, we had the pleasure of interviewing Keenan Pascal, who is the CEO of both Token Bitters, uh, which is a, a bitters company, and Token Naturals, which is a cannabis company. And, and uh, before we keep going into the interview with Keenan, uh, I do want to give a shout out to La Connectionale. So La Connectional is a cultural startup turned into a social enterprise, which strives to showcase the talents and contributions of the African, Black, Caribbean, and Latinx communities. Um, so Eva, Tom and I are actually pretty good friends with one of the founders named Yvonne. And Yvonne approached us to actually host a session at their La Explorational conference. And that's actually where we did this interview. So we did this interview with Keenan about two weeks ago at this session, and we got to host the interview. And it was interesting in the sense that we've never really done a live interview before with audience questions. So that definitely added a new angle to the conversation. And uh, speaking of the conversation itself, what what do you boys remember? Uh, what stuck out? Yeah, I think taking audience questions was a pretty interesting experience i think we haven't done that on this podcast yet um and i think it, it added an interesting uh, dynamic to it and some of the questions were pretty funny <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, I, enjoyed I liked that. it yeah i feel like a lot of the questions were things we uh we were kind of thinking about asking but phrased in a more like I guess, like, intentional way, like, a, like accurate way. I don't know. I, re- I really like the audience participation. I hope we can, yeah. we can do more of that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. It added a kind of level of spontaneity and um, mm-hmm. excitement to the conversation. Uh, though I will say, I think it was, it was the episode, the conversation that we had was kind of a good mix of really deep, insightful conversations. So, so what, what was the conversation about? couple of things i think we talked about you know so keenan is um keenan is one of the only or i think the only black cannabis ceo so there is a a lot of we had a, a lot of conversations about you know honestly being the only black ceo in the room and being the only one of the only black faces in cannabis and how he navigates that we we talked about um advocating for BIPOC representation in the cannabis space, given that the cannabis space historically has been, um, at least the criminal justice system has historically uh, disproportionately negatively impacted Black and Indigenous populations. We talked about that. 
yeah, we talked about a wide range of things. I think, and the irony, the irony of him being the only black entrepreneur in the cannabis space in Canada was, I don't think was lost upon any of us. And I think that was pretty interesting to talk to him about his his views on that and how he he sees himself um, kind of being a role model, I guess, for for the next generation. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of fun conversations, um, wide range of topics, audience questions, and Keenan was Keenan was great. He was honest, he was candid, and I think I think uh, the audience is going to really like um, the episode this week. Really, ha- really happy we got to have that conversation. Absolutely. Okay, in that case, without further ado, why don't we get out of the way and let you all listen to the episode? So yeah, uh, without let's uh, let's get started with our interview with Keenan Pascal. Cool. So I guess everyone, welcome. So welcome to our event here. We're super excited to to be hosting and speaking with Keenan Pascal here from from Token Bitters and Token Naturals. Uh, I guess first off, a little bit about us. Uh, we are the Cusp Podcast. Uh, my name is Unquir. Uh, I'm with me. I have our co-hosts Tony and Tom. Um, and so we we started our podcast about a year ago, a little over a year ago. Um, really, the first largely out of boredom but we we kind of realized that um you know as we were discussing what kind of podcast we wanted to make we had a bit of an argument where you know some of us thought we were gen z's and some of us thought we were millennials and we realized that we're kind of just on the cusp like we're not really in either generation we're kind of in the middle and so since then we've been doing this for about a year we've been creating content that speaks to issues that our generation is is curious about social commentary culture and just trying to interview really cool people like keenan um, Tony, Tom, is there anything else you guys would want to add? No, I'll, I'll say like, no, I think we're all three kind of different personalities. Uh, I consider myself the voice of reason of the group. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I think, I think the three of us bring something unique to the podcast. So, um, you know, hope, hope you guys enjoy the conversation we have today with, uh, Kino. And Tony. Yeah, I, I'm, I am actually the voice of reason in the group. So, um, yeah, I think- <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm definitely. You know, I'm definitely the sober second thought uh, of of the three of us. So, um, as, as as you'll see, as you'll see, let's, let's go with that. And as you can tell, we've been friends for years, so we'll probably have some banter and we'll have some fun with this. So yeah, without further ado, Keenan, why don't you introduce yourself? You know, tell the audience a little bit about you. Yeah, no, my name is. Uh, thanks for having me on. I think this is a great platform, and I, I love being on podcasts and talking talking to just cool people back at you. So I uh, appreciate the, the attention, the time. Yeah, my name is Keith Pascal. I'm the, uh, the founder of Token Naturals and Token Bitters, the, the two sister companies that we created in 2016. And my, uh, yeah, my, my journey has been a, an interesting one. I, my parents are dad's from Dominique in the Caribbean. My mom's from uh, like Two Hills, Alberta. So I like with a Mankey background, my dad's from the Caribbean. So my kind of got the best of both worlds growing up. You can either shoot down to the island or you go spend some time on the farm. So growing up, it was, a, it was a really interesting upbringing, and I grew up here in Edmonton, and I went into finance, then uh, then got into cannabis, and then got into manufacturing, and just continued to kind of grow the, uh, the like the empire slowly. So that, that's my spark notes of what I'm up to and who I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, 
I guess where we want to just start off the conversation, so I'll, I'll, I'll get it rolling then, boys, I guess I'll let you chime in after that, um, is, you know, we talked about, you know, we've had prior conversations, Keenan, and we've talked about how, you know, when you were in university, fresh out of university, you kind of landed into um, uh, banking, and that was kind of what you thought was your first choice. When when you were when you were graduating and when you were trying to thinking about what, what do I want to do, like, what, what did you feel like were your choices and what kind of led you into banking at first? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the, the cool things when I was graduating, it was uh, I, re- I really wanted like entrepreneurship. So like growing up, what I always do like I'd, I'd be the guy that run the like the pub crawl bus, or I would uh, you know bartend, or I'd like do little like at a painting company, and I always have like little entrepreneur projects. And then when I graduated, I realized like entrepreneurship is really tough, like super tough, especially when you finish school and you don't really know anything. And so the re- like reality kind of hit, and I was like, my dad's like, go get an actual job. And so I became a bank teller. Like that was like, I started at the very bottom of banking, became a bank teller and like quickly got into the, like the personal banking side. And then for me, banking was like a wicked place to learn the fundamentals of like how money works, how to leverage things, how to use debt, how to build credit, like how to build that rapport with banks. And then starting to see like budgeting. And, and then when you got more into the entrepreneur side of things, like into business banking, learning how that works. So for me, it was a, it was a great exposure to like a breadth of business. So right out of school, you know, tried entrepreneurship, realized I needed a little bit more experience before I could really cut my teeth on it. And then banking was that, that next logical step for me. So I really enjoyed my time in the bank. I ended up seven years between Scotiabank and then into, into ATB and with ATB, I went to a smaller bank, which I thought I could climb the ladder faster and which I, I was able to. So I, by the end, I was doing like internal consulting for the bank. It was a really cool position where you worked more on the uh, the strategy side, and that's where I got exposed to the, the MBA concept, and that's what sent me to uh, UBC to do my MBA. That's really interesting. I, I I think something we've talked about on the podcast in the in the past is you know we're three people of color. A lot of people of color. Uh, decide to go into more like, I guess, stable or traditional professions right out of school. Do you think that factored into your decision at all to, to go into finance or do you think it didn't? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I think the nice side of the, the thing that like the reality of being a person of color is like, we don't have that generational experience of, of wealth management. Like it's not like, you know, we have a, a bunch of rich uncles that you can kind of talk to about trading stocks or like, you know, my dad, I know he had like a retirement fund, which is an RSP, but beyond like a mutual fund, you probably had no idea what, like he's probably never bought a stock in his life now that I think about it. And like, that's just something as a, a person of color, when you're going to school and you're taking your finance courses and trying to figure that out, it's like, yeah, where am I going to get that exposure? And you kind of got to teach yourself. So I think it's kind of a natural progression as you find these stable, you know, safer jobs right off the hop. So you can kind of you know, get, get your runway and start picking up steam and then you kind of launch it's a little slower being a, a person of color and kind of jumping into it but it's just the reality of, of that but I'm, I'm optimistic that the next generation like you see it already like i'm sure you guys are into you know doing the crypto investing and you guys are kind of staying ahead of the game and it's just like my generation didn't have that we had our parents and then you know i think it's just going to get better and better as we go you mentioned crypto and I remember just like all my crypto accounts are kind of in the red right now, but um, 
I, I think you bring up a good point. <laughs> no, it's really tragic. Be careful out there with, with crypto. Um, <laughs> but Keenan, I'm wondering, so, you know, you were in, it sounds like you were doing really well for yourself, right? You were in banking, you were, you were going up the ladder, you were in the internal consultant for the bank. What made you leave that, you know, rather safe and cushy position and decide to you know, kind of risk it all and go, go be an entrepreneur? Yeah, no, no, great question. So for me, it was, uh, so I went to my MBA with the intention of going back into banking and um, then just skipping steps. So like there, you know, you have to spend so much time in a role, but if you have an MBA, it, uh, it moves you faster. So that's what I, do. I was doing the MBA for a selfish, like, hey, I just want to skip a couple of levels of, of management. And while I was there, I decided to do a full-time program because I wanted to get more ingrained in the experience. And an MBA is fun because it's like going to college with disposable income. So it's like you're, 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 you're still, you know, going to school, but you have your, your weekends and your, your party time. So that was definitely a fun experience. And that disconnect from the nine to five was probably one of the biggest drivers was like, I wasn't getting a paycheck every two weeks. And I realized that I didn't need to get a paycheck every two weeks. I could kind of rely on my own like savings. And by this time when I went into my MBA, like I, I bought my first house when I was 23 and then just bought a house every couple of years. So by the time I think I went to the NBA with like two or three rental properties. And then I realized I was like, Hey, I can actually, you know, I, I don't need to just work a nine to five. I can take a little bit more risk. And the other thing that really pushed it, like that sounds like smart and a lot of foresight, but it was just timing in the sense that I was graduating when oil was crashing again in uh, like 2015, 2016, and the banks were like, yeah, no, you can't have your your dream MBA job if you go back to your old sales job. And I was like, you know, I got this, I got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Of like, I don't want to go, I just did, you know, 16 months, two years of this program. I don't want to go back to my old job. So I just, so I was just like, I, I'm going to just quit and, and go do something else. And that was, that was what pushed me into it. Kind of decided to burn the boats at the, at the water's edge and figure it out. Okay, so let's 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 go from there. That's just around 2015, 2016, you were saying? Yeah. So at that time, you know, you had just finished the MBA, economy wasn't too good, you weren't getting the MBA job that you wanted, a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. What spurred you to go after, you know, cannabis and bitters? Like was it both of those right away? Was it one of them first? Like what spurred you to chase after those? And and from there, how would you say those industries complement each other? Yeah, so that was a really interesting period of my life. So my, the, one of the, the, the other founders, so there's three of us that started the company. It was me, Jamie Shea, and Cam O'Neill. So Cam was doing the MBA with me and he was a, he was a chemical engineer. And so he was, he worked on like a, a grow up out in the, out in the Rockies when he are like not the Rockies, it's mid central BC. Well, before school. So he was like working on the, in this gray market, illegal grow. And he was like, cannabis is going to be a thing. And then once it's legalized, it's going to take off. And I was like, no, like, that's not my jam. Like a black guy is not going to go start a cannabis company after school. And he's like, no, no, like let's do beverages. And I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. So he would make us beverages and we would get the class high all the time. Like that became our, our jam on the weekends. Is like go drink one of Cam's drinks. You know, you're, you're laughing, you're having your night. And then you would, uh, you'd be, be okay in the morning. You, there's no hangovers and us being older, like our hangovers suck take like two, three days now. So it was, it was an appealing thing to me. I was like, okay, I think Cam's onto something with these cannabis beverages. And so we we're like, Hey, well, how do we actually make a cannabis product? So like I'll, I'll dive into kind of the scaling and the manufacturing side of things. But 
Cam was like, let's get this license that you need from the federal government. And to do that, you need to raise capital because it's super competitive. You're a finance guy. Can you do the capital? I'll do the business like plan. And that's how me and Cam kind of founded each other. And then we were broke students. So I was like, okay, who do I know with money? And it was my buddy, Jamie Shea, who owned this nightclub in Edmonton. So he was, he was pretty fast and loose with his cash. I was like, Jamie, I need a hundred grand to like start this company. He's like, you're out of your mind. What do you know? And then I was like, no, no, seriously, like sit down with me. Let's let me walk you through this. So wait, hold on. Was this at the club? Like, were you guys just, like a couple shots, <laughs> yeah. shots of Henny in? You're like, listen, so I need a hundred. And yeah. we're kind of waiting until he was drunk. Yeah, over, over like the, like, my, my whole MBA, I always go back to Jamie's bar because like Avenue was my spot. And so we always were talking and we we're always like, he's like, what are you up to? And I'm just, we're always staying in touch. And then when I needed cash, I was like, hey, who's, who's nobody I can talk to? And I was like, Jamie, let's, let's start this business. And he was like, this sounds stupid, but you know, I, I could probably make that up in a couple of months at the bar. Here you go. And yeah, that's how the company started is, is the, uh, that, that, that story was the, the kickoff point. And then to your second point of like, how bitters and cannabis kind of played into each other is so we, we did this first round of capital. So I raised like half a million bucks. Like I've never raised money in my life other than, you know, yeah, actually I've never. So like it's an art in itself. It's something you just learn to do. And really quickly, I was like, yeah, this is, this is tough. I don't think I can raise all the money that all these big cannabis companies are doing in terms of competition. So I was like, what's something we can do that's, that's leaner, that's smaller, like a minimal viable product. And Cam was like, bitters. Bitters are the exact same cannabis, like the extraction technology. We're using ethanol to pull a, an essence out of a plant. He's like, let's do bitters. You guys used to work in the bars. Jamie, you know all the bartenders. I'll make the bitters. And we just started in my garage. And then we started making bitters. And like my fiance was hating us because we were making a mess and we didn't know what we were doing. And we just gave bidders to bartenders and it was just to prove to investors that we can launch a product. And then once we got that traction, then we started, the vision was always get into cannabis, do a cannabis beverage, but our stepping stone was the bidders company. And so that's where it kind of all came together. You, you alluded to, to raising capital as kind of one of those first steps. What do you think, do you think there were systemic barriers for you as, as a person of color when you when you tried to raise that capital or maybe trying to go into a more nascent industry? Like, what, what was that process like? Yeah, for sure. Like, so raising capital is like, you know, you watch Silicon Valley, you hear those stories like, you know, you have your friends and family round, your C round, your Series A and your Bs. Uh, like people of color don't have the friends and family with the capital. Like that's just not, we don't have generational wealth yet. It's just, just not in our, in our broad wheelhouse. So for me, raising capital was going outside of our kind of like my black, you know, cohort and going more into like, Hey, where, where are these? So we ended up, well, like our company is 70% owned by people of color and females, but it's like, you know, I will tap into the Arab and the, like the Muslim community and the Jewish community. And like we started broadening who we asked for cash with. And we started using like Edmonton's a cool city in the sense of like you grow up, not really just having one click and one color, like, you know, people of color in Edmonton kind of like, you know, you give each other the nod and you know, like, you know, you're standing, you're the only white guy and the only, or only black guy in a group full of white guys, like a, a brown guy walks in, you're gonna, you recognize each other and you get that nod. So Edmonton's cool that way in terms of 
raising capital or networking in the color space. So for me, raising capital not didn't come from like the black community. It came from like other people of color, but it wasn't my friends and family of like calling uncle or calling, you know, my parents and being like, Hey, I need like 50 K to like get this started. Like my parents love a mortgage. Like they're like, get, get out of here. I got I got bills to pay. So it, for me, raising capital was, yeah, it was an extension of my network and going outside of my comfort zone to, you know, people that didn't look like me. I, I, think, I think that makes a lot of sense, Keenan. And, and it's like pretty impressive uh, as, as well. Like I really appreciate the, the grassroots nature of, of your business and then how it grew like almost like a community business in the sense of how the community supported you grow as well. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder like, you know, as a new entrepreneur in a, in a relatively new industry as well, like, like cannabis um, specifically, a lot of entrepreneurs usually seek out mentors in the space. It, it could be it could be somebody who funded you like a like a venture capitalist or just a just a mentor in in general. How how who who has been your mentor in this space or how have you found mentors, especially being uh, a person of color in 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 this industry? Yeah, I think mentorship is absolutely key to scaling a business. Like what you think is a problem that's like going to crush you. And this big, big boulder is somebody's little pebble that they've dealt with like 30,000 times. So mentorship is absolutely a, a must. When I talk to young entrepreneurs, like go find mentorship, go ask somebody for help. And you'd be surprised how many people are willing to actually go and do that. So for me, it was, you gotta be outgoing in terms of like, even if you're an introvert, it's just putting yourself out there. So like we joined really quickly, the, uh, the U of A has this, uh, mentor mentorship program. So we went up there, pitched that. I got four mentors out of there. Just talking to other business owners that have been, you know, you know, ten years, twenty years, your senior are amazing. But then also not forgetting that, like the guy who's one year ahead of you has some real great experience that you could just ask, being like, hey, you know, when you were doing this last year, what did you do? So what was fun about mentorship in the cannabis space is. Like I would say like, you know, I have the traditional, like I have my advisory board and I have my, my U of A like mentor group and I tapped into the alumni network and did all that. But like the really great tidbit mentors are the ones that were the cannabis companies one, two years older than me that were like, Hey, when you were doing this license, how did you do that? Or when you trying to, you know, hire this person, like, what did you look for? And not ignoring that, like, Hey, this person is my same age. But that little bit more experience is something I can I can use as an asset. So yeah, so I, those are kind of the two areas I tapped in for mentorship. That's interesting because I I imagine like in a relatively new industry, people will be a bit competitive and maybe kind of want to keep their trade secrets, right? But it seems like yeah. people are pretty co like collegial about it as well. Yeah, I think like what was unique about cannabis as an industry, and I think this is also like just broadly speaking in industries that are kind of new and up and coming is like the concept is like instead of us fighting over you know the slice of pie can we grow the pie can we make this a little bit more like there's so many people in the city of edmonton like can we both sell them a mct oil like a cbd oil like am i actually competing head to head with you or do we have to first make this a viable industry before we have to start you know, going at each other's throats. And I think that was something that, that made cannabis a little different in terms of collaboration. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. A rising tide lifts all boats kind of mentality. Yeah, exactly.
So uh, b- before we, we pivot a little bit, I, uh, I see some audience questions that I kind of want to get across before we change the nature of the conversation. One of them that I think is kind of interesting here is um, one of the, the audience members is asking, what has been your biggest obstacle in, in growing the business? Like uh, as, a, as a cannabis entrepreneur and, and as a bitters entrepreneur, like what, what do you think has been the biggest obstacle? Yeah, I think like the, the answer you'll hear every time is like access to capital, but then it, it's deeper than that. It's like access to resources are like social capital, like how you kind of get your, your business and your plan out there. So the, the big challenge is like resources. You know, you have, a, you don't have unlimited time. You don't have unlimited money. You don't have unlimited capacity to get things done. And so what you, what we really get is like risk mitigation is like, where do we get our steps? Like, what are our milestones that I can do more in terms of time or I can get more money? So like, that's where we always talk about like the, these minimal viable products or these like assumptions and then checks and balances. So for us as a company, the first one was like, okay, bitters, like our bitters bottles are $23 retail, 13 wholesale, it cost me six bucks to make them. That little business model, makes no money. Like it, it used to make no money. Now it's doing well. But like at the beginning, like it was, it was peanuts. Like we weren't doing anything with it, but what it was doing was a proof of concept that I could tell investors and get more resources because the city, for example, like now you're talking capital and money, like just social like clout. The city was like, Hey, these guys are have a consumer package. Good. That people are using in Edmonton. Let's tell that story. And then we started getting, you know, interviews people were just like oh you know bitters like what are bitters and like no one really in the end today kind of gives a shit about bitters but they give a shit about your cool little company story and that's what was interesting is people were like hey can we get behind this brand and then resources started piling up and it's like hey you want to talk to this mla you want to talk to this city person you want to talk yada 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 so yeah that challenge was like access to resources and it was we got this little stepping stone and then once we did that, it was like, oh, these guys actually can do something in the industry. Let's see if they can do something in, you know, like a crazy story to kind of jump to a story. It's like, we went from Edmonton, Alberta to Tokyo with our bidders. And like, that's a story in itself. But like, that was not because our company had like this grand vision to become an international brand. It was because someone in the city was like, hey, you guys are actually fun to hang out with. Why don't you come on this trade mission? And, and now we're, we're in Japan. So like, it's the stepping stones of your your resources that that break down these challenges to uh, yeah to kind of the capital and the, and the social equity you want to bring into your company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, see, I see another another question in the in the Q and A, and this kind of uh, would. would pivot us a little to, to some questions we had. Uh, what's it like being the only black person in the room as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So like, that's a, that's a great question. At the beginning, it's intimidating. And I, I like time and time again, it's just the reality of life. But what I've started to appreciate about it is you stand out. So you, when you speak, people listen, when you walk into the room, people look, when you have an idea, people will give you that added bit of attention because you look different than them and you have a different demeanor and you dress differently or, or whatever that style is. Like you're, you're standing out and you can use that as a strength as opposed to being this timid, like, I, like definitely when I was going, I was like, you know, especially when you're raising and pitching money, like 
you know, you're, you're going into the Mayfair Royal, like Lenora, and you're, you're walking into just a bunch of white guys, and they're, they're all great, nice guys. But at the end of the day, like nobody looks like me. I'm not nodding my head to, you know, somebody I met way back in the day from my parents. It's like these people are all new, but these people are all like, what's this guy doing here? And there must be something to him because he's like, this is kind of like our space. So it's not that, not those specific venues, but like that mindset of like walking into these rooms or like, oh, I can, I can do something here because people notice me. And when I walk in and when I leave, if I left a good impression, you know, they're going to remember that. And so I started using that as a powerful tool. When I walk into these rooms now, it's, it's not intimidating. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm standing out right here. Like, you know, if I go to Toronto and I'm just like another black guy in the crowd, I'm like, oh, shit, like, send me back to Alberta. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to look at it as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so Keenan, not, not only are you sometimes the only black uh, entrepreneur in the room, but you're also a black entrepreneur in the cannabis industry, which traditionally, you know, and historically has been, has had pretty negative impacts on, on the black community as, as a whole, right? And, and how the justice system treated black people that use cannabis and et cetera. So I was wondering if you, if you could comment a little bit on how you feel um, your space in the industry as, as a black entrepreneur um, is. And also, I know you do some work with the Black Canadians and Cannabis Network, so I'm hoping you could comment on that as well. Yeah, so the, you know, like, I, oddly enough, like, I'm the first black cannabis owner of a, like a, a federal license. And that in itself seems crazy because this has been legal for four years and I'm the first black guy or black woman or person to do it. Like there's, there's just nobody that's done it yet. And it's not because we're super smart and, and figured out like something amazing. It's just the industry was a massive barrier because to do the regulatory framework, you needed a ton of capital and you needed to have a runway. And that's probably the biggest thing. Like Health Canada always asks me, like, oh, how do we bring more diversification in? It's not because it kind of almost goes back to that original question or just conversation we had about like safe jobs. It's like, if I'm, you know, if I need to raise money to do the cannabis thing, but my license could take three months, it could take a year, it could take 18 months. If I don't know that, I'm not going to start this company. And that's where you're not seeing the diversity in there because they have all this, these roadblocks. So walking with the cannabis face off of the hand or right off the hop is like, there's not, you know, there's, there's nobody there yet. So I, it was a blessing that I got the network and kind of the privilege of having the people back me up to go in, on this journey. Cause like we screwed up a ton of times. Like if I, if you had talked to Keenan in 2017, I would have been licensed by the end of that year. It, it took us a 2021 to get our license like what where world do you get three years of like just making no money in in the industry you're supposed to be you know in so i think in that to speak to the like the person of color thing and then being you know a black person in the in the ceo space especially sitting in in the ceo chair i've got so many weird stories of people like either you'll talk to someone and they'll kind of like allude to like you know i was kind of a drug dealer back in the day like you know, I used to, you know, I had to do what I had to do to get, you know, get things. <laughs> They're talking about being the plug. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yo, I'm like, I'm like, I was a banker, but I'm good on you. I'm glad you, glad you do you. But like, you get that kind of like treatment where they just assume like, you know, I had this like shady cannabis background because I'm black. So that was always something. And then walking into 
moves and like I, I obviously I don't always dress like a CEO. Like I can suit up if I have to, but like usually I'm pretty chill. So so I walk into meetings and I remember like I'm being in like a Zoom call and like people are like and like my staff, you know, they, they work for me. Like, they all represent and, and I'll be on the call and like someone will be like, oh like who are you? Like the the sales guy? And I was like, no, no actually I'm the company. And I'm like they're like, oh oh sorry yeah and like that happens all the time like <laughs> that, that mindset of like you know this i'm a younger guy and then like this black guy does not own this you know this multi-million dollar cannabis company it's you know it's, it's just the reality of kind of being that black person in the space and then i guess the last part of your question with the black cannabis network so that story was you know the murder of george floyd everyone was like where are we all black people so cannabis became that you know where's the black people in cannabis and so everyone just turns to me because i'm like a, a vocal kind of space in the in the cannabis industry and they're like where are all the black people and i was like i have no idea where the fuck all the black people are so <laughs> i just put a post out and i was like where are all the black people and then there's tons of black people in the cannabis space they're just like you know in entry-level jobs or trying to get into it i was like 40 some people put their hand up and was like yo i'm, I'm in i'm here so we just created a network and it was, it was that, it was that simple. And that's what the black cannabis network is all about. It was just like, it was just a connection point and that's where uh, that started. Right. Right. Well, well on that note, I mean, sorry, there's like 10 different directions we can go from that <laughs> anecdote and that story. Um, let's, let's do this first. And then maybe if we want to circle back to some other things, if Tony or Tom want to, the one place I want to go to here is, so you talked about, you know, you started doing this advocacy work with the black Canadians and cannabis network, and you've started liaising with the federal government. Um, as somebody who's kind of dealt with issues, you talked about, for example, how long it took you to get licensing. What would you say can be done to further encourage BIPOC popula uh, populations to pursue entrepreneurship and, and get success? and employment in the cannabis industry is it as simple as you know accessible financing or or improving licensing requirements or do we require a more a nuanced take or approach on this yeah i think the big thing is like let's talk more action so like they, they asked me like i've sat on task force and, and the panels and like the, the not i give the government right now they're trying they're actually like actively how do we make this better but it comes down to really two things like you have to put mentorship and leadership in the space like if I'm coming into a new space and I don't see anybody that looks like me, I'm not, you know, just going to jump in two feet because I, I like I don't know if it works. Like, is there another black person that made this work? Like, now you can say, yeah, there's a couple, and there's like some like Ashley out of Toronto with Harvest, and like uh, me, and like there's a bunch of up and coming, so that that's exciting. But like, you have to have mentorship, so you either have to give you know the, the people who are interested, you know, a, a a pathway forward through hey, look at these people, tell their stories put it out that they're like, you can be a successful one. And this goes for like, not just, you know, black people, but like females, like where are the female CEOs in this industry? And it's going to be that, like tell the story. So that was the number one thing I, I always suggested them. And the other one is like path to licensing. Like these licenses are, they're cumbersome. They're massive documents. It's like, you know, you have to have your shit on point. You have to have your lawyer, your accountant, your consultant, your quality assurance person, that's hard to do if you're just, you know, coming from the gray market or you're just trying to get into it. So it's like, how do I get that? If you are serious about it, make a path that's just for black people or indigenous or, or women. Like, be like, hey, we'll actually make it easier for you to get your license and faster if you actually 
take the risk because it's still a massive risk. So those are the two things when people always ask, like, what can I do? I was like, make it easier, give them mentorship. And then the money and everything else will come after. But if you don't go do those two things, it's going to be like you could throw millions of dollars at this problem and it's not, it's not going to go away. It'll help. Like, I'll take it, but yeah. <laughs> 100%. The, the the chat's blowing up with with some with some funny comments and questions. Um, so I, I'm going to ask one one a, a little more on a lighter side. But the, why the name Token Naturals? Yeah, so like, like the people are joking about it in the in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely like we made it as the uh, like a token, like a token to the good time. But it was definitely like it was a, it was a black guy at the time. Like Cam was a, a gay guy, so it was like me and Cam were kind of the token guys in our class. And so we just called it token. <laughs> so it was like a triple entendre. You, you had you had a couple things going there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had his part, and I had mine, and I was up. Oh man, what's the what's the? I, I I'm curious about this. I just I need I, I you piqued my curiosity. What's the wildest story you have of like a low key CEO pulling you aside and being like, yeah, I used to, you know, I used to be in the or like um, I used to be involved in drugs or just kind of like like a weird story where you're kind of just like, oh, did that just happen? Yeah, I, I was just like actually yesterday, like one name names, and I'm talking to this like the supplier. And the guy was like talking about like, you know, his background and he's like, you know, like when I was going through university, I had to like, you know, I want to make a little extra cash. And he just started talking to me about like moving pounds. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, let's, let's get back to talking about the equipment I'm trying to buy here, buddy. Like it's, it's great, but that's the, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Is like, are you telling me that because I'm black and you're assuming I also did that? Or are you telling me that? Cause like you just want to talk about how you hustle. So that's, you know, He's a nice guy. Like I'll probably be doing his business with him anyways. But like that's always something in the back of my mind is like, are you telling me that story? Like, why are you telling me that story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So 100%. both both as like a black person have and an entrepreneur having experiences like this. Like you've you've told us about this journey. And and I might be projecting, but to me that sounds like an emotional roller coaster. So like, I'm sure you had like social supports and networks to lean on, but what was it like dealing with kind of the emotional cost of running, of running the business? Yeah, you definitely need, if you're scaling a business in any capacity, like black, female, male, like you need a support network because you're not going to get far. It's not, you know, a you against the world situation because the world's going to crush you and win. But like, that's where like I always talk when people are asking is like, it's kind of these realities of like, you got to build a team around you that is going to, you know, roll in the same direction of you. Like you may be rolling in the wrong direction, but everyone's got to be on that boat going the same way. And so like, I always talk about like you, people really when they're starting their businesses or people of color is like, you see, especially like black males, like you, you want to be by, like you're going to do it by yourself. Like I'm going to pull up my, you know, bootstraps and like, this is me. And sometimes you can only get so far doing that. And so I like, actually when I talked to like young black men, I was like, find that partner, find that, like, you know, maybe it's your, your friend that you're tight with and you're just, you're both starting businesses. Like I got my buddy Rob that we've always been, been tired. It's like, it's your, your spouse, your fiance. Like I couldn't start this business. I'd have like the backup at home. Like you're, you're like, you need that backup and mental support. Cause like, you're not going to do this by yourself all the way. And then it comes down to like, 
people always wait to the very last minute to hire somebody when they absolutely need them. And that's like your house is burning down and you drag the person in the house with you and be like, yo, let's fix this. Where it's like, yo, why don't we bring somebody in and we're building the house and it's nice and it's peaceful. And like, and yeah, I'm going to be putting money up right now and I'm not going to be getting that money back. But that was a shift in mindset where for scaling this business, it was like, I can't bring people in at the last minute. I can't bring them in when I'm like, I absolutely need an accountant or I absolutely need a sales guy. Like, I'm going to pay you, you know, like a blow market because I'm cheap and I'm broke, but come in now and help me get to this point. And when we get there, you know, have a little bit of the company, have a little, like, we'll get you to the salary you want. And so those are like that mental support and building a team around you is by far the strongest thing you can do for, as an entrepreneur of like getting ahead and getting ahead fast. Because that's, if this token was me, Cam and Jamie, it would be, we'd probably be in a ditch right now. But now we have like 13 staff in one company, three staff in the other company. We got mentors and consultants up the wazoo and 83 investors and like and that's a team it's it's like it's a family thing now so yeah um so i i know i know we're getting close to our time now so i i wanted to maybe focus a bit more on like you know keenan outside of the, of the cannabis industry uh, as well um so on a similar vein to like where tony was going the emotional stress of dealing dealing with uh being an entrepreneur in this space, how, how has this affected the relationships you've had with like your, your family and your, and your friends um, while you've been an entrepreneur? Have you had any, and especially how did your family and friends react to you even deciding to go into the space to begin with? Yeah, no. <laughs> like right about hot, like I told my parents, like I'm quitting banking, I'm gonna go start a cannabis company and they're both yeah. a fool, but you know, that worked out. Um, yeah, no, it's really a matter of, it's, it's that support and like, you gotta be, transparent people like I'm not going to be around for every thing you want to do buddies and and you know even you know your spouse and significant other it's like type it. like I, I gotta do this company and this is my like this I'm pushing off everything to get this done so that yeah I'm gonna work hard these years so I can kind of can chill chill when I'm older and so that's the like you you know pretty quickly people's mindset if they're like yeah no like yeah I support you go on and I've got tons of friends that in different walks of my life where I'll leave, I'll come back and we'll just pick up where we left off. So like, that's something you definitely have to find the people around you. If you're going to be an entrepreneur is like, you know, there's, there's going to be a, it's a give and take, you need that balance, but like, you're going to be a little bit more selfish with your time and you're not going to, you know, go and, and just party every night. Like, don't no, no, get me wrong. I definitely have my fun, but like, you got to have that balance of like, you know, Maybe I don't see my parents as much as I want to, or, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people a little bit less or like, you know, let's, let's talk work first and then fun second. And, and that's just, you know, you got to make that sacrifice when you get into it, but you'll, you'll find out pretty quick how people, you know, if they're going to back you up on it or not. Mm-hmm. No, and that, this is a common thread that I've heard from other successful people where it's like, you know, the people that love you and support you, they'll, they'll give you that space. And when you get to reconnect, it's, it's all good. You'll catch up, right? Because they know that you got other things going on. 
Um, one place I wanted to get into, you talked about the importance of mentorship in the cannabis industry, in your life, and with your company, with things like venture mentors, mentorship service and stuff like that. Are you now in a place where, you know, shoes on the other foot, you're able to kind of mentor others? And what does that look like as being now a mentor in the community? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I've got a bunch of people I talk to on the regular, just, you know, I don't want to call myself a mentor, but like, I, I do mentor people. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's that mentality. Like someone did it for me and like I 100% wouldn't be here if someone didn't give me those. those. And it, to me, I think a lot of people forget how easy it is to be kind. Like, you know, you call me, I can give any human being 15 minutes of my time. Like it's not hard to pick up the phone and answer a question and do that. So like obviously with mentorship, it takes a little bit more. You got to put more time and effort into it. But I view mentorship as a, as a give and take. It's like when you talk to somebody and I'm teaching something, I forget how when I was, you know, three, four years ago in your situation, how scary and stressful that was. And it reminds me of like how I dealt with that. And I'm not, it's not like the world's, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like I'm helping you solve this problem, but I'm probably going to see something again very soon. And because I'm talking about it and I'm working it through you, when I get that, you know, when it comes back around, it's my turn to deal with, you know, a, a company problem or an employee or something. It's that mentality of like, I'm constantly learning by teaching and it's a circle where it's just comes back. So I, I don't, I view mentorship as like, you know, my mentees are giving me just as much as I'm giving them in terms of mentorship. So I like, I'm always for it. I think everybody across the board, if you can, you know, mentor somebody, ask for help or somebody asks you for help, just give them a little bit of time because I'm, I was blown away by those little seeds I plant. Like one prime example is I was next to this one kid in university. This one kid talked to this lady about this tech group. And he was like, she's like, you should talk to Keenan. He's a cool guy, nice guy. This lady is like, hey, I don't know you from a hole in the wall, but I got a good referral. You want to go for coffee? Go for coffee with this lady. Long story short, I probably pulled $700,000 out of this network that I got from this lady because I had coffee with this kid. Wow. And it's like, there's little, those little things. It's like that literally, I always think of that when people are like, even people teleconference me random things. I'm like, hey, you want to sell me something? I'll at least hear what you're trying to do. And I'm like, nah, sorry, bro. Like, good luck. But I'll take that. I'm not going to just like hang up the phone. I'm like too busy or, or that. I'm like, here, talk to this person in my company or send me an email and I'll see what I can do. But that is something that I always try to remind people. It's like, it's those little things are going to pay huge dividends if you wait a couple of years. Love it. Love it. The random acts of kindness paying dividends. I love that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, boys, do you guys have any other questions? We're getting close to time, but I want to see if there's anything else you guys want to talk about. What's what's next for talking? Talking? You have talking naturals. You have talking bitters. Like, what's next? Yeah. So next, next is the uh, the fun part. So we're we're in execution mode now. So the last four years was building building facilities, building capacity, building team. Now we're launching products. So you've got the the bitters that already exist, and then. You're going to see us producing like cannabis oils. You're seeing drink additives. You're going to be seeing us do B2B manufacturing for other people. So as soon as we've got one more kind of license hurdle to get over, that's a smaller one. And then now it's, uh, yeah, it's the, it's the execution. So it's putting product to market. So that's what I'm excited for. That's what we've been working for for the last year. So you'll, you'll see token hopefully more and more. And then that's the, that's the plan. 
Yeah, man, I hope, I hope you guys have some problems, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hope you guys go straight to the moon, you know? <laughs> yeah, Yvonne wants to know if you're joining the TSX. <laughs> Not yet. We, we got some plans. I don't, we'll, we'll keep it private for a little bit longer. But we'll see. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, uh, Keenan, thank you again for the interview. Really appreciated your time. Yeah, appreciated. Yeah the stories appreciated the gems of knowledge and wisdom i'm probably gonna have to listen to this a couple times just to get everything but uh no it was awesome i appreciate it yeah and, and genuinely like if you guys ever want to chat again or you guys need anything just just reach out yeah man you me and Nirvana gotta go for tennis after big shout out to the audience as well some of these chats uh, had me cracking up here in the back oh, um, yeah. thanks for, thanks for yeah. joining us tonight as well Last, last yeah. thing I'll say, uh, well, two things I'll say. One, if you enjoyed this conversation um, and you're kind of enjoying conversations like this, definitely we'd love it if you could listen to our podcast or subscribe. We are that The Cusp Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find us and we, we love to just kind of put out content like this. The other thing I say is I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to the Lacunacional team. Um, right. In particular, I've been liaising very heavily with Yvonne and Patrick who have been extremely helpful in setting this event up. And so thank you for thinking of us for this opportunity and for putting this event on we really appreciate it okay that's it for today folks thank you so much for listening as always if you like what you heard please subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform follow us on our social media handles at the cusp pod on twitter or instagram and tell some friends about the podcast other than that, the only thing we'll ask this week is we'd actually love to hear from you regarding potential guests that you'd like us to ex- explore or approach. So if you have some guest ideas or if you have some people who you think would be good for the podcast to interview, feel free to reach out at thecuspod or email us at thecuspod at gmail.com and we kind of love to hear your ideas. If we think it's a good fit, we might explore them. So yeah, thanks again for listening and have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>